Right. We're in the second missionary journey of Paul and Silas, and Timothy has accompanied them, and we can be assured that there were other people also involved in this um, group of people that were traveling from place to place. We left Thessalonica last week, and we find ourselves in the city of Berea today. And so in verse 10, we'll take up the reading. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, this was their custom. Okay, we've been reading this time and time again. Verse 11. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, speaking of the Bereans, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who conducted to Paul, brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they also departed. We'll stop there. Today we want to talk about Bible reading. And as, I mean, this is, you go to a church and you, you, you think, all right, great. Now, I mean, in lieu of a bringing like a, a nice steak in front of you, um, just think of something as simple as a bottle of water. Uh, imagine for a moment you are not in an air-conditioned room and you are extremely thirsty. And I were to explain to you that I have in my possession a very chilled, and it's got condensation on the outside of the bottle. This one doesn't, but it does. And a very chilled bottle of, of water. And I can explain to you... Uh, every facet describing it. I can weigh it out for you and tell you how much it is. I can put a thermometer in there and tell you what the temperature is. But if you are thirsty, the only avail to your condition is not a description of this bottle of water. The only thing that satisfies your condition at that particular moment is to take the bottle and to drink. The same can be said for food. The same can be said for anything. You, you, you talk about a fruit and you say, you know what, an apple, crisp and red and lightly oranged and yellowed in certain spots, firm and hard, and yet when you slice it, juice is coming out. And you can describe every facet of a piece of fruit, but in the end, it's all about consuming it. We sang a song today, it's about tasting and seeing the goodness of God. And there's an aspect of Bible reading that must translate into that same vein, into that same conversation. A lot of the times in our Christian lives, we are been, being given a constant description of what God is like. We're being told the characteristics of God. We're being told by somebody who has prepared some food and explaining the dish in a fascinating way, and we are content with a description of God. But in our daily lives, I mean, how many of us can eat secondhand? I mean, I mean, apart from seeing it on nature, like shows like birds throwing up into their chicks' mouths, that's kind of disgusting, right? That's very disgusting. 
right? But in a sense, that's how we digest the Word of God. Somebody chews it for us, makes it nice and soft and mushy, and blah, throws up at you every single week. I mean, that's not a pleasant sight, but that's actually what happens for a lot of Christians. Okay? And so today, I, I want to talk about Bible reading uh, as unfashionable or as unfantastic as that might seem. I, I want to talk about that. And I've given this title, No Bible, No Breakfast, something you've probably heard before at a youth camp, right? Where you were in youth group and somehow they were saying, you know, all right, every morning, guys, you're going to have QT. You can go wherever you want as a group, but just know no Bible, no breakfast, right? And I mean, I heard this before. I probably said this to youth students in my youth pastoring days, right? And this idea of no Bible, no breakfast is just saying the Word needs to be something that is daily in our lives. Now, whether you want to say uh, no supper, no scripture, no supper. <laughs> and so if that's not a morning thing for you, make, make it an evening thing, okay? If you're not going to read the Bible, it's, it's the same thing. Maybe you want to say no word, no water. All right, whatever, whatever suits your fancy. I, it doesn't matter here, okay? But what I want to get across to you today in this aspect of Bible study, reading, and digesting it, and preparing it, and doing all of that good stuff in our lives is to say this, no word, no growth. That if we want to grow as a Christian, that if we want our spiritual lives to mature, there needs to be the presence of the digestion of the Word of God, the consumption of the Word on a regular basis. There is no way, other way around it. It's something that just must happen. And, you know, to give you this parallel of reading the Word and eating food. Let, let me say this. Like, if you think about snacking, how many of you are like self-proclaimed snackers? I mean, my wife's a snacker. She'll like, we'll be driving to dinner and she's eating chips in the car. And I'm like, we're going to dinner, right? And you know, it's like, I'm the type of person that wants to save my stomach for the meal, you know, and I, I just want to enjoy it. I don't want nothing to impede on that. But she's different. She's a snacker. We have other snackers. Usually, I think women are women, more snackers than men, kind of, sort of, all right? Now, if you use the parallel between Bible reading and food, I, I want to say that, you know, those daily feeds on your Bible app or social media things that come up, right? Those little tiny little graphics with the scripture on it looks all fancy dancy, right? That's like a snack. That's what that is. It's one verse out of context. It's just a bag of chips. That's all it is. It's a granola bar, right? It's, it's, a, it's a carrot stick. That's what it is. It's just one thing that just kind of holds you over in the meanwhile, okay? But if you want to think about what, to me, Sunday is, I think Sunday is eating out. You haven't prepared the meal I have, all right? And today I'm cooking for all of us here, right? And I spent some time in the middle of the week to gather all of the spiritual ingredients. I went into the Word, into the pantry, and I put it all on the stove in the pot, and I prepared it, and I brought it in a spiritual pot for us to have a potluck today served by one. And in a, in, a, in a sense, that's what Sunday is, isn't it? You're going to a spiritual, quote-unquote, restaurant to get food spiritually that someone else has prepared. Now, if you think about a healthy life, just 
let's forget about kind of spirituality for a second. Let's just think about your daily health, right? Nutrition. Now, if we sustain our entire lives on snacking and eating out, is that a good recipe for like uh, being healthy at age 60? I mean, I don't think so, right? Now, mind you, I don't, I'll, I'll try not to put MSG and all that other stuff, so to speak, right? In the meal that I'm preparing for you, a healthy home-cooked meal is what I want to give to you. But just think about it for a second. If we do not know how to cook, if you don't know how to put a simple pasta together or even have the, the strength or will or, or, or place in your mind that you want to put a bowl of cereal on the table for yourself, if that amount of energy is too much for you and you need to go out and fork over five bucks for a coffee and another three bucks for a muffin every morning and do that for lunch and dinner and you're always eating out and snacking throughout just to get by, that, my friends, is a recipe for an unhealthy life. And I want to get that across today. That if our spiritual lives is filled with snacking and eating out and that is our complete spiritual Bible digest, we need to shift something around. And I don't want to beat you over the head. I just want to challenge you today in that regard. I want you to examine, what did I eat spiritually this past week? Did I prepare anything of a spiritual meal for my own heart and, and soul? I think that's an honest question that we need to ask ourselves. And this is not an indictment. I mean, as a pastor, I fall short plenty of times in this regard. Many times as a pastor, if I'm not preparing a sermon, sometimes it's hard to get into the Word on my own. And too often I find that my own Bible reading is not for myself. My Bible reading is for the church. And that's something wrong there. That as a pastor, I need to get into the Word for me. I need to be able to cook for me, not just for other people. And so I'm not pointing any fingers here. But what I'm saying is let's have honest reflection. And let's understand that my spirit needs this for health, for maturity. I'm going to share a couple of points. First, studying the Bible is central to Christian growth. Central. And notice I didn't say reading the Bible. Right? I didn't say, just kind of opening it up and just like, oh, that was okay. I got through my Bible reading today and I checked that off. I, it's not reading the Bible that's central to Christian growth. In order to study, you need to read it. It's kind of inclusive of that. But what I'm talking about is the preparation of ingredients, of, of going to the market, of fishing through the pantry, of dicing up the onions, putting in the seasoning, at the right temperature, with the right timing, understanding the nuances of that. The energy that goes into preparing a meal, that's the energy that goes into studying Scripture, to studying the Bible. And it's not the place of pastors and clergymen to do this. It is the Christian that has been given the Word. That's what the Reformers fought for centuries ago. They fought for the fact that the Bible was not in the hands of the common Christian. It was only... In, in the higher-ups, in those who would preach down at you from lecterns that were raised up in a language that was foreign. And they fought for this. The church spilled blood for the fact that the Bible can get in the hands of you and I. 
that we can get into this and it wouldn't be preached at us, but we could digest it ourselves. So much has been given and fought over for that particular fact. And so studying the Word, of, of, of having the mindset of, of digging in and excavating, having that archaeological mindset of getting out that fine little brush, not just shoveling the dirt everywhere, but just understanding there's something to be found here. And, and focusing it on a passage or a chapter and saying, you know what, I'm going to take out my brush for a second and I'm going to read slowly. What does that word really mean? What must that person have been thinking in this moment when he was fleeing to another city? And taking out the brush again and, and just scraping around and finding something that might be of substance and just kind of investigating more. That mindset is the mindset of a student. And that's the mindset we need to have when we go to the Bible. I, I read a word that I don't understand rather than passing by, which is so easy for me or for you to do, but to say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And wrestling with it again, going back to it the week after, and understanding that there's something that God was trying to communicate through that, and I want to get that gem and that jewel. That's studying. Studying the Bible is central to the Christian growth. And it says in our passage that the Bereans were more noble-minded, right? That noble, I mean, like, what a, what a great description it is for some Christians over there. I mean, and there were some reasons why these Christians were more, more noble-minded. Three were given. And did I put that in your sermon outlines? The three reasons why they were considered more noble-minded was number one, they received the word with eagerness. Eagerness. That word means zealous, right? That you, you're anticipating, right? You all know what it means to anticipate after Black Friday shopping, you know, stuff coming in, your birthday's coming up, uh, yeah, a child on the way, uh, going first day of work. You know, these things you anticipate what you're going to experience, and your mind is kind of focused on that, and you're, you're getting ready to receive this interaction, this experience, this merchandise, whatever it is. It's anticipation, eagerness. At first date, ah, what should I say? Should I wear this? Like you have it picked out like two weeks in advance what you're going to wear, right? It's, it's that hard condition that's perked up, that's ready, ready to go, like boom. It says, Let's go now. And like, you're ready. You're ready. Eager. That's the word here. They received the word with a spirit and a posture that was leaning forward. Not like just laid back. Oh, whatever he says. doesn't really matter. But it was like, wait, let me sit up for a second. And I want to hear this. I need to know this. This is relevant for my life. Eagerness. All right? You know, you know that feeling, like, uh, it's, we don't get as much mail as we do, like, as we did years ago, but I, I love getting mail. Y'all love getting mail. Who loves getting mail? Anybody like getting mail? Like, not email, like regular mail. Like, I, I love going to the mailbox and finding stuff in there, right? And so, I mean, that's like, a, like I'm in, in our family, I'm the only one with the mail key, right? There's only, there's only one, right? I couldn't make a copy, but, but I like going, right? You know, I'm doing it sacrificially for my wife that I'm the one doing it. <laughs> But I mean, secretly, I like going to the mailbox, right? I like that, you know, that 200, 300 foot stroll, whatever that is, to the front of our uh, community. And I, and I just, I open it up and I like, as soon as I open it, it's empty. I'm like, oh, I feel so 
like depleted of joy in the moment if it's empty, right? But when there's stuff in there, it's like, ah, right? And nowadays, it's like half of it's like credit card offers. And I don't even like, that's just like ripped up immediately. I don't even look into that stuff, right? But there's moments where you get like a letter, right? You, you, you get like some sort of a, a check in the mail or uh, when that stuff happens, I'm the type of, I never open it on the way back home as I'm walking back to, to our place. Like I want to like, like be sitting at my desk and I want to open it with a letter open. I don't want to have the jagged edge on it. And I want to like just be ready to open this. I'm always like that, right? And so I bring it home and I, and I sit down and I get my letter open and I just kind of, and I open them all first, all of them first and all stacked up and I go one by one and I pull it out. And I, and I just enjoy it. There's an anticipation for me when I get mail. And so if, if you want to get on the good side, send me mail, right? I mean, really, it's just that like exciting for me, right? And, uh, but in a sense, that letter, God has already packaged and put in the post. It's already arrived at our desk. That message that God is sending to us, speaking to us, wanting to share with us. And that anticipation and eagerness, more than a piece of mail that comes via the post or FedEx, something that God has delivered through the hand of His prophets, relayed through the copying of Scripture, century after century, relayed and now bound by different publishers and bought by us, put electronically on apps and tablets. This is a letter sent by God to each and every one of us. And that anticipation of wanting to open it, read it, discover, what does it say for me? That's, that's the mindset and the spirit of the Bereans. Eagerness, they're like eager to, to receive the word. They were ready and hungry. It's like a sponge. <laughs> Give it to me. I, I, I want it. That's the first reason why they were called noble-minded. The second reason why they were called noble-minded was because they examined the scriptures. Right? And then we go back to this point, right? Studying, right? Examining, right? Searching, scrutinizing, sifting, questioning, interrogating. Right? It's like you want to get something from the person. It's like an officer interrogating a person. It's like, I'm trying to get something out of this. And I go to the scriptures to, in a sense, interrogate it, not question its validity, but sift out, uncover from underneath, bring to the forefront, examine it. This spirit is why the Bereans were so noble-minded. And it's the spirit of eagerness that leads to the examination, doesn't it? And so that first spirit of being eager, that's the first part. And that naturally will lead to the examination. And so if eagerness is bringing out the shovel or the brush or the tools, the examination is the actual digging, the excavating, the questioning. And the third thing is that they did it daily. Right? And so they were eager to receive the word. They examined the scriptures for themselves and they did this daily. Right? It was a consistent thing. It was central to their lives. I mean, let's think about it. It makes little difference to, to go to work and do one job well and to only go to work one day. Like, our work needs to be connected to a larger project in order for us to do well at work. 
It's just because I, oh, I went in on Monday. I did a great job, and I didn't go in on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, right? And so doing good work once, uh, great, good job for the day. But work needs to be connected to a larger project or vision, a larger stretch, right? And the same goes for our, our reading of Scripture. To read it once well and say, man, that was a great Bible reading, wonderful. But there's a, a larger biblical narrative that unfolds, Old Testament and New, and being able to read into that and discover that, that is where something good comes out. Right? That's, that's powerful. And this morning, you know, the praise team always gathers uh, in the morning. And as I was, we were sharing this morning, you know, two of our praise team members, they were sharing a little bit about their, their week. And I was so encouraged by a couple of the things that were said. And so I just wanted to give a, a brief moment for Andrew and Daniel just to share uh, a little bit about what you shared earlier today. And so let's, you can clap for them if you like. Mic check. There check. we go. All right. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Daniel. For those of you guys that know, don't know me, but I can't take all the credit for uh, what I said this morning. Um, I got the inspiration from Esther and Amos, actually. Um, I shared that uh, ever since I've been seeing Jen, my girlfriend, right now, um, we started doing um, reading the Bible passage that the Bible app sends us every day. And we've just been going over it, and it's kind of helped us to. Uh, really uh, solidify our faith in God and kind of uh, make sure that, you know, we're putting God first before we put each other first. And um, that's kind of one way that this Bible reading has actually helped me and Jen, I guess. And it's kind of cool to see how she thinks and what she thinks about God and what she thinks about the passage. And um, I think it's been help, uh, helpful for, for us both. Amen. Hello, my name is Andrew. <laughs> um, I've been uh, I was I've been trying to look for a, a thing to read in the Bible like consistently and um, the place where God brought me to was I want to read about David because I'm starting to lead worship and um, I wanted to see his heart again but where God actually took me was actually Samuel and I've been reading First um, Samuel and being able to see um, the progression every day in um, reading the Word and I'm I'm using the ESV Study Bible I don't know if you guys are using it but a lot of times it's um, scripture and notes and then whenever I need like a reference or something I can hop down and check all those things and then once I'm done reading I usually um, kind of have like my own journal that I write through and then I digest what's happening and then I can look back on the progression and see um, through my application where um, you know this is what happened this is what happened and I can I, I, I feel like I'm digesting it through the week so it starts off with one chunk and then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and then you see a bigger picture and um, you know we've read like the Bible, I know a lot of people have read a lot of the, the, the stories and stuff, but I think seeing the story again through the perspective now, then through college, and then when I was a kid, um, I realized there's so many different things in that scripture that really does change um, what you're actually eating from it. Maybe at first it was like yogurt, but then now it's like steak. I don't know. <laughs> but it's been really good. And it's been a um, blessing to really be able to read this week and just in general. Thank you, guys. Uh uh, you know, it, it kind of highlights um, what I'm talking about. Uh, what I appreciate about the trying to bring Scripture central to your relationship, it was impa impactful 
as I was listening and the heart to want to go through and not just read isolated scriptures or, or verses, passages, but to be able to digest books at a time. And not in one sitting, of course, but being able to go through it, you see a narrative that really just pops up. And, uh, you know, personally, I read the Bible as if it was like this movie that, w that I was seeing, like actual people. And you know that old children's cartoon, Hannah, uh, I think it's Hanna-Barbera, where, where she's transported into Bible times. And, in, and I, I kind of read the Bible that way. Like when Paul's on this ship and he's going from there to there, like what are they feeling? What's the emotion? Uh, what's that setting like? How difficult is the journey? Because there's a lot of things in between verses that it just kind of goes. And they went from there to there. And it's like, wait a minute. Uh, like if I were to go from there to there, like there is something that, that I'd be feeling. Right? And uh, the reason why I share that all the time is I, I want to encourage you to read Scripture that way. That it's a, it's a historical narrative that actually took place in real life and begin to understand the lessons contained within it. We don't have to read too much into it and we don't want to fabricate stuff, but it happens in a context that was real and, and that's what we need to unearth. The church in Berea never received a letter from Paul in the New Testament. There's no like, you know, letter to the Bereans as there is to like Corinthians and Thessalonians or the Ephesians or Romans and all these people, right? I mean, I, I, I'm not surprised by that because the, the letters of Paul contained in our New Testament, those were predominantly letters to teach young infant churches to give them some guidance, to say, you know what, this is what I'm hearing, and this is what I, I'd like to share from God's heart to you as your church in this city. The Bereans never got such a letter, or at least it's not contained for us in our canon of Scripture, right? But I don't find that all that surprising, because the Bereans were, in a sense, their own teachers. They were in the Word daily, and that they were very noble-minded. And for all of the churches that were planted under Paul's watch, Maybe with the limited scope and time that he had, maybe he understood that the Bereans didn't quite need a letter from him because they were in the Word for themselves and that they were such noble-minded followers of Jesus Christ. And it's challenging for all of us, it should be, to get into the Word with the spirit in which these Bereans did. Just lastly, as I close in this last point, don't let discomfort hinder you from seeing God's plans. Um, just because it's uncomfortable, it doesn't mean God's not in it. Well, let's think about it for a second. They're in Berea, and the place that he just came from, Thessalonica, they pushed him out of the city. And they hear, wait a minute, Paul's in Berea. So they're like, ah, we don't want you in our city, and we don't want you in the next, next city either. So these same folks... They go through the trouble. You know, they're the type of people that go through trouble to make your life hard. You know, these are such folks. And so they go to the, the city of Berea and they're like, wait a minute, you guys don't want nothing to do with these folks. And so they stir up a ruckus and then they create this kind of mob and they push him out of Berea as well. Right. And so then Paul goes and he goes to this Athens. Right. And like, as I see it, I see the same thing that happened. You can write this as a reference in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I don't know if you remember that in our, in our reading. That's when the Christians in Jerusalem were being persecuted under the watch of Saul, who became our apostle Paul, right? And so uh, there was a martyr in Stephen, and after he, uh, he died, there was this persecution that was widespread in Jerusalem. And it says that the believers all scattered. 
they scattered into Samaria, and Philip was going, and it says that they preached the gospel wherever they went. And one of the points that I shared with you when I was preaching on Acts 8 was that God spreads the gospel through unconventional means. That even through persecution, God can sift out very good things. That the church had no idea. Like They're like, oh, this, someone's going to kill us. We better run and go. And as they're going, they're preaching the gospel. And they're actually fulfilling God's mission. Go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And there was this hard-nosed kind of thing to say, we don't want to go to the Samaritans in the Jewish community of the first century. And so God used persecution to push him out of Jerusalem and get him into the surrounding areas to get this mission of the gospel going forward. So I see the same thing here. Paul's being persecuted everywhere he goes. First missionary journey, you go to Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. You go to the second missionary journey, he was in Philippi, Thessalonica. He's being pushed out of all of these cities, and everywhere he goes, he does the same thing. New city, let's go to the synagogue. Let's teach the scriptures. Let's find the place of prayer. And what we're seeing happening is churches being birthed everywhere that Paul is being pushed. Paul wanted to stay in Thessalonica longer. It came out in his letter, right? I wish I was with you longer. But he was only there three weeks. If Paul had it his way, he'd probably be in Thessalonica. There would be no church in Berea. There would be no movement in Athens. But Paul was pushed out of those cities and he went to the next. But he did what he was called to do. And so I, I want to say, don't let discomfort hinder you from seeing that God is doing something. That God can use the evil push-outs that people kind of exert upon us and actually sift out a lot of good there. But too often, in the moment of discomfort, we fail to see God's hand because too quickly we ask for God's deliverance. You know? It's like, it's hard, it's difficult, and we're praying, God, this is not your will, I don't like it, help me, save me. And we're asking for God's deliverance out of this, and we fail to see what God is trying to do through the actual suffering. And so I want to encourage you, if the pushing out of Paul from Berea teaches us anything, may it teach us to understand that God can cause a lot of good to come out of the hardships that we face in life. Let's not just pass by them in the fast lane, but let's understand and sift the good out of that as well. As I close, let me share two things. First is this. Every week, reread right, and personally digest the passages that we share on Sunday. I want to encourage you to do that. May this, not, may this only be like, consider this a food pantry, not a restaurant. If it makes any difference to you whatsoever, okay? If that imagery changes. Don't consider this a place where you come to dine. Consider this a place where you come to get ingredients. It changes. Because when you get the ingredients, you still got to cook it. <laughs> so just imagine you came today with your old bag, re reusable bag, okay? And you went through the line... And today, free of charge, take all the ingredients you'd like, okay? And the ingredients are the passages and a few of the points that I shared. But don't consider them digestible here. Examine it with the spirit of the Bereans. Go home, chop them up, prepare them yourselves, and begin to eat mid midweek by yourself. 
through these passages that we shared today. And I think that imagery alone is a great image to kind of end off with. Just reread it, examine it, and personally digest it. But one last thing that I'll say is this. Prioritize Bible reading as much as eating. That takes me back to the title, right? No Bible, no breakfast, no scripture, no supper, no word, no water. Because really what I want to say is no word, no growth. Amen? Amen.